Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Candor Podcast. CJ Gocher is our guest today. CJ is the director of Barbell Logic's Barbell Academy, as well as an exclusive coach for Barbell Logic Online Coaching. And uh, years of experience coaching many different types of athletes. Um, I was fortunate enough to be on Barbell Logic's podcast with CJ. He, he had me on as a guest to talk a little bit about my experience as a coach and going through the Barbell Logic Coaching Academy. And um, I've been following CJ for well over a year and some change now. And I think he's a you know, fantastic coach, great guy in general. And uh, I thought he had a lot of uh, really unique things to talk about becoming a coach, um, ways to spot if you're looking for a coach, ways to spot a good coach versus a bad coach. And if you are a coach, how to become a better coach, or at least not suck anymore as a coach. <laughs> <laughs> so CJ, thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So tell people who aren't familiar with you and what you do a little bit about yourself, how you got into coaching. We can kind of go from there. Sure. Uh, so I mean, starting from, starting from the beginning, I started as a lifter as way too long ago, like back in 2006 with CrossFit. Yeah. Uh, and for me, my coaching journey has kind of taken me, it was always six months behind whatever I was doing. So I would start doing the thing. I would get passionate about it. And then my classmates at the time, midshipmen, because I was at the Naval Academy, uh, were, would you know look for help. Like, oh, I'm training for the PRT. Oh, you're doing this CrossFit thing. I'd love to do it with you. And it was sort of this parallel growth process of, you know, kind of graduating from one group to another, from one task to another, uh, just getting more and more involved and helping people with their specific, uh, at the time, military physical training needs. That kind of grew throughout the years. I eventually was active duty. So some of that fell off when I was no longer actively coaching midshipmen. Um, and when I left the Navy in 2016, uh, I became a full-time coach. Like I, I, I reached that point when doing it side, doing it as a side hustle, you know, doing it just to help people. I, I met coaches who were really good and who were solving the problems that I was getting stuck on just, you know, like that. I'm like, I, I can't do this as, as a side hustle and, and deliver the impact that I, that I want to. So I started looking into the certifications, this study, you know, like what programs do I need? Uh, you know, get, getting caught in that, like I need oh, everything yeah. that, right. you know, that seems like everyone gets started with. Uh, and now, you know, six years since then, I guess, uh, now I uh, focus primarily on strength training and helping strength coaches. Uh, a lot through Barbell Logic, so Barbell Logic Online Coaching, delivering that through online coaching and through the Barbell Academy, as well as some in person, uh, mostly with you know form check, like form checks, people coming to, in to visit to dial in their platform presence and their platform movement uh, here in Oceanside, where I live at, okay. in Southern California. Nice, nice. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about this um, defining a coach. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of people are familiar with certain types of coaches. Mostly when I think of coach, at least when I used to think of a coach, I, I would, I would almost think of like a, like a business coach, for instance. Hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I think if, if a person's out there and they're a professional in the industry and you don't call yourself a coach, maybe you're a fitness trainer, you're a personal trainer. And then you hear the word, they're a strength coach, they're a fitness coach. You might think, well, what's the difference? You know, they're almost doing the same thing I do kind of right. Um, I think for my own personal view, there is a difference between personal training and there are very good personal trainers and coaching 
and there are very good coaches out there and they, there's a lot of crossover, but can you define what a coach is and, and maybe how you, how you've developed that thought? Sure. So it, for me, even the, even the idea of defining it, is this definition useful? So the definition that's useful for me, I love the fact that you started with a business coach. Because like for me, I like to start big picture with what coaching is. And that for me is someone who helps someone else mm -hmm. change what they do until that changes who they are. Cool. So cool. a business coach does it, uh, a style coach. I was watching a podcast between Matt Reynolds and Tanner Guzzi, who's a style coach. And I'm hearing the same things I hear as a coach that I'm saying as a coach about identifying your purpose and your goals before you get in after it. all those same elements like whether it's therapy or management and leadership or uh, like a nurse, they all have coaching elements in that they're trying to cause behavior change. So we all pull from each other. There can be personal trainers who are coaches and there can be coaches like who have that in their title who don't mm -hmm. coach. Mm -hmm. Right. They're, they're mostly educators or they're program designers or they're, you know, something else, but actually their, their involvement in causing behavior change is minimal, you know, or it's just not there. And so the, I mean, that can seem a little bit broad at first, you know, like it's like life coaching or health coaching. Oh, it can be anything. Uh, well, the specific type of coaching that we do, whatever adjective we put in front of it, that depends on our lifter. You know, that depends on their goals, their needs, and who they are. So the kind of like when I think strength coach, then that's kind of a broader umbrella for, well, okay, we're going to be working with barbells. We're going to be working with, you know, body weight strength training. We're going to be working with the, and so these are the skills I'm going to need. And it could be as specific as I'm working with postpartum women. I'm working with yeah. transitioning coaches who are in their 30, 35 to 45 age range, uh, who know the cues, but don't know how to execute in their own body. Like they're, 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 you know, movement wombats to borrow the term, right. um, and th suddenly the skill set that matters to that kind of coaching becomes very specific. So, so give us an example then of if you're, if you're coaching that, 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 you know, that wombat kind of person, <laughs> um, give us some examples of maybe what a, what a coaching method might be um, language used and, and where to apply it, maybe when to apply it. So I think when, you know, People tend to travel, whatever term, you know, gets used in the industry for people who don't move well. Uh, I find it's a lot of it is they don't have a deep movement base from sport, from, you know, childhood, from something like that. They're just people who have not been physically active for a long time. And it's super exciting that they're getting started now. But mm -hmm. when I say, uh, you know, a lot of these cues, oh, squatting, they just need to sit down, you know, sit down, stand up. That's a squat. Right, they don't right. have in their head that deep database of, you know, brain body solutions to the sit down, stand up problem once you put weight on their back. So those that the method that's going to work for them, the clearest and simplest cues uh, when you're working with them on the platform, a teaching progression that is uh, that communicates as much as possible without saying things, because that kind of individual tends to get stuck in their own head and yeah. overthink things. Yeah. They, they hear the words and they're focused on the words and what that means and less about how, what is going on in their body. 
yeah, they don't have a good connection with their mom. Yeah. So get like telling, telling someone, um, okay, you know, I need you to bend over about 20 degrees, get a good inclination angle in your back. And we're going to set your hip angle here. That, mm-hmm. that, that not going to work. Like we need to talk about, okay, put your eyes here, sit your butt down, and then going to move you in position or tell you, all right, hips up a little bit from here, push the knees out. That looks great. Stand back up. Right. And then you have the people who are, who can almost put themselves outside of their own body. And if you Mm. say that, that 20 degree angle, it's like, they can get a mental image of themselves. And you're like, "Uh, I wish I had something to correct you on, but that looked great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny with that kind of lifter with that cut. Like uh, I used to do Taekwondo when I was a kid and there was a gymnast who joined the gym and within about two to three months, they had everything. Like wow. they had the moves, like they, they, cause they had that kind of body control and that expertise. Uh, uh, and it was just a matter for them of developing the skill and sparring and those kind of things. So they were just dialing in. But when you're dealing with that kind of lifter, the skill set's totally different. Yeah. Platform coaching may not even matter as much. Right. It just meant, so maybe we're thinking, okay, where's the programming? Where's the, where's the, the motivational connection? Where is the, like keeping them focused on their goals. So they're ready for the next meet. If they're going to compete, like all of a sudden coaching platform, coaching doesn't even matter much anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, you know, this makes me think of is I have, I have two brothers that I, that I coach. One of them is in California. The other one is in here in Cincinnati. The difference between the two, I thought, okay. And Ethan, if you're going to listen to this, you and I have talked a lot about this. I've been training him for nine years. He knows what kind of physical capacity he has. It's a constant learning, you know, constant coaching, constant feedback kind of thing. And uh, he'll even say, he's like, it's going to take me a while to get it. It's going to take me a while to get him. I totally understand. His brother, I thought going into this, I was was like, okay, this is going to be a a big challenge because maybe it's a lot similar. It wasn't that way at all. As soon as I gave like a cue, it just fixed. And I was like, wow. This is, this is totally not what I expected. So it's kind of that same thing. Like, okay, there's going to be a little bit more of like keeping this guy focused and not trying to get him deviated into following, you know, rabbits versus over here in front of me. It's just going to be about, you know, fine, more fine tuning. Mm. Yeah. And that's, it's funny. It's funny that you get that in brothers too. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I, I, I always thought like originally, initially I thought there was this, you know, uh, a a strong genetic component to it. And the more, the more I experience, the more it seems to be tied to past experience. I'm sure there's some Mm. kind of talent, talent. Sure. Sure. But it seems so tied to past experience. So when I look at somebody, you know, I used to try to try try to figure them out, you know, within like the first five, 10 minutes, how's this lifter going to be? Uh, and then I find, oh, they're great on the squat. And then we put them on the bench press and they're like a worm. Hmm. You know, it's, it, it got to the point when I just stopped trying to predict how they're going to, to respond and just you're engaging with them just right there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that speaks a lot to, a lot to, to the coat, the coaching model and principles all around, you know, being able to mm-hmm. engage with that person right where they are. You know, if they're an advanced lifter, can you come in at the same level that they are? If they're, if they're a novice out of the box, can you adjust to that after maybe having an appointment with an advanced lifter? Like those kind of things need to be able to shift, shifting Make the mindset. Switch. Yeah. The mindset's big because coach, cause you get like, you know, if you're an hour with somebody and you've got the same, get these cues down, you know, that person reacts to, and then you go into your next appointment, for instance, and you're all of a sudden you're, you're like, 
oh, wait, that's not going to, I forgot that doesn't work for you. You got to be able to make that mental shift. And if you, if something keeps, if something's working for somebody, at least this is what happens to me. I get a cue that it, it works for somebody on every, let's, you know, we'll let's stick, stick with the squat, you know, just, you know, staying tight, stay tight. That works. That works for that person. And I think to myself, like, are they tired of hearing that? Do I need hmm. to change this? And then when I give them something else, that tightness goes away, you know, they don't get depth. And I'm like, Oh, why did I do that? Why, why it was did I, working. Why it was did totally I fine. Yeah. And then I go back and he's like, well, what did you mean by that? When you said, you know, what, what, whatever, make up any kind of cue. What did you mean by that? And I was like, you know what? <laughs> that was my bad. We're going to, we're going we're gonna to forget. I said that that worked for somebody else. I thought maybe it would give you a little bit deeper understanding, but we're going to stick with stay tight. So those kind of things definitely matter. Um, maybe shifting a little bit to if someone's going to become a coach, you know, from your experience, what's that process like? When you ask that, my my first jump, you know, my jump to conclusions, Matt, uh, is start coaching. Mm-hmm. You know, my first my my first instinct is to say, accept that you are not an expert coach. Like, come with a transparent and authentic like presentation of your level of skill. But as soon as you can, find people to work with because until you're coaching, you're not coaching. Right. Until you're coaching, you're not really learning about coaching. Uh, but, but, and as, as soon as I think that I need to take a step back, because uh, I think the first real step is to do the thing. If you're going to coach lifters, you should be a lifter like for six months, a year, same with CrossFit. Like this should be something that's a big part of your life, uh, or at least something that you are passionate enough about that. You're already trying to learn about it and do it. If you wake up one morning and decide I, I want to be a coach, then something is already gone sideways like that should be something you have already been doing for a long time uh that that then it sort of grows and oh i want to be a coach at this thing and that doesn't tend to happen with brand new coaches it tends to happen a lot with coaches who are transitioning to another style like they've been doing uh, uh, pilates or they're looking to target a new audience and then they're like oh i'm gonna learn the strength coaching thing right because you know I, i read a book it's like you haven't done the strength coaching the strength training thing yet yeah. Like make that integrate that into your life first. Um, so after doing the thing and then coaching, I think, so coaching, I think is great. I don't think you really learn how to be a coach until you are coaching, but I think that has to be in parallel to be effective. Uh, that has to be in parallel with something else because just going out there and coaching is great. It's better than most options, honestly, uh, but there's kind of a flail zone of I'm just, sort of making things happen. Like, uh, I'm kind of lost. And I don't feel like we learn a lot when we're desperately hoping we're not screwing everything up. Yeah. So I feel like there's, there's a parallel learning on some level, whether it's self-study, uh, which has a lot of limitations, a formal education, which I think is great and is a good starting point for a lot of people on some levels. It's just, mm-hmm that education is going to have gaps, whether it's studying for a certification, whether it's the coaching academy, whether it's getting an exercise, you know, science degree, whatever that may be, uh, it's going to have gaps and it's Mm -hmm. not going to be a match for your, for, for your people. You can make it a closer match, but it serves as a framework so that when you run into a coaching problem, you have something that you're learning at the moment that might apply. And when you're learning in the classroom, you can be like, oh, what happens if I apply that in my coaching? Boom, that worked. Cool. I, I get that checking off of each other. Right. Um, 
And then of course there's like apprentice uh, apprenticeships or, or like uh, actual coaching, like getting a coach to coach you professionally. Yes. There are other options too. So I don't want to tell people, Oh, the only options are education. Um, but usually that's where I start some kind of parallel coaching and education. Yeah, that's good advice. And one thing that you said at the very beginning was, you know, and we've had this, I remember having this conversation in the coaching Academy where they said, do you think you have to do to be a coach? And you make a good point. And I think the, the most, the most beneficial thing about that is, especially if you're, if you've already gone through the struggles of trying to figure out what's next and trying to correct yourself and going through the research process, you know, you hit a wall with whatever lift you're trying to do and you have to dig your way out of it to keep making progress. I really do feel like if you're, if you're going along and, and if you've never, if you've never experienced that, not only the physical side of it, but the mental side of it too, because there's many nights I remember thinking like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this next lift tomorrow morning. Like, what mm -hmm. if, what if I don't, what, what, what do I do next? But if you, if you've never gone through it, yeah, you can read a book and you, you can say, okay, now's the time to make the switch. Or there, it might not be, it doesn't have to be that drastic. You, you can look at somebody and tell maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't have a good night's sleep. That wasn't 110% effort kind of situation. But if you've never gone through it, your, your physical self and know what it feels like to miss a lift, to grind one out to, or, or to hit, you know, a big PR, if you don't know what that feels like, um, not saying you can't do it, but your effectiveness is going to be, is going to be off. I think you can still make people have progress, but uh, if, if the person you're coaching can turn around and say, I, you know, and you've, you've told them, look, man, I know exactly how you feel right now. I know you're sweating this. Here's what's, here's, what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to do. If they know that you've gone through that and they've got somebody that has gone through it, they're going to go through it with you together. That, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. That's fun. The imposter experience or imposter syndrome gets discussed a lot. And I don't think you can invite imposter syndrome better. Like if you were trying to do this as badly as possible, learn something in a textbook, go yeah. coach, go coach someone like you've never lifted before, learn something in a textbook, go coach someone and they tweak their back. Right. And you tell them, don't worry. It's all biopsychosocial. You'll be fine. Like there is no confidence in what you've learned when your body knowledge tells you or in their body knowledge of telling them I'm in pain mm -hmm. and your body knowledge that, that and you've been in pain before it sucks. Like, and you've never like deadlifted your way through a back tweak. Right. You are just, it's in the back of your mind. Like, I hope that author was right. Like, I, I, I really hope. I hope there's a chapter on this. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. I, I, and I hope I didn't misremember it. Like there's all this sort of thing that's whether it's conscious or not, whether it's in words or not sits in the back of your brain and it comes out as no confidence or even worse, I'm lying. Like these aren't my words. Mm. Yeah. If you, if you've never experienced that, you can't work your way out of it. You can't relate to that person's injury. Um, I mean, I, I know, I know, I think in the back of my mind, what I think what would happen is you'd be too afraid to have that person try again, because you know that you know, maybe the same mistake, you probably don't even know what to look for. And you, you'd quit it altogether. You quit that process altogether. No more deadlifts. That's the answer. No more deadlifts. That's uh, what the, people uh, default to. 
that's yeah, exactly right. Well, we'll try something else. Maybe, maybe something else will work for you. No, it was working. This is unfortunately, and they don't have to happen. You know, there are a lot of people who, who live for a long time and um, thankfully go un, unscathed and un, uninjured, but there are a lot of people who um, for whatever reason, they injure themselves and they, they, they just think like, well, if I'm in the gym, there's no reason I should get injured. And to a certain degree, I, I do, I do agree with that, but if you're trying to, it depends on your goal and what you're trying to achieve. And if that does happen, is the person that you're working with, are they equipped to handle what comes next when, when an injury does happen? Um, because they do pop up. I think we vastly overestimate, especially new lifters who aren't familiar with it. I think they vastly overestimate the risk of like injury with a capital I and vastly underestimate and underprepare for the daily aches and pains and the occasional tweak that literally you can deadlift through and be fine the next day. Right. You know, so when you, when you slip, like uh, I did just recently trying not to step on my cat, uh, you slip on the stairs and you like something hurts in your knee. Oh yeah. Uh, and then like that, that lifter or that coach, if they haven't experienced that before, goes through that, like, oh no, something's broken. I can't load this broken structure. Right. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. When, like once, once you've learned through the feeling you, you, I'd like to go back to something you said, like, how do you, if you haven't gone through that before, mm-hmm. how do you deal? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's part of why you should do this and live this for some time beforehand. So you're more likely to go through them. Uh, I think you can, there are certain things, you know, are inevitable. People are going to have aches and pains. People are going to have tweaks. So not sucking uh, means prepping for the inevitable to some degree. Yeah. Like, I don't think you should be a coach unless you have, you know, unless you kind of have a loose response to if somebody has X incident on the floor, this is probably what I'm going to do. You know, yeah. this is how I'm going to respond. And we, even if like between the textbook and my personal experience, we learn in community. So if I'm in a gym, in an iron gym, you know, or if I'm with a hasher group of runners or I'm at a CrossFit gym and I'm paying attention and I'm in community and somebody else, let's let's say CrossFit tears, you know, their calluses off and they're bleeding all over the place. Like, uh, like that, and that's a CrossFit thing, right? And uh, it, it, well, not guaranteed, but it happens, you know, it does. unfortunately often. And uh, so you pay attention. How do they respond? What were they doing? You know, like talk to them like, oh, I was getting like after way too much or I knew it was starting to pinch and it was white. I should have taken care of it. Like, so when you're faced with that situation as a coach, uh, you at least have somebody else's experience who you know and trust and validated time and time again. Yeah. Uh, when you see someone lift through a back tweak for the 20th time, maybe you get lucky and you never have had a back tweak before, but you watched it work. It, ha- having the backbone, having the community. And that, that goes both ways too, because I think a lot of people will, will bail on their own sense of security when they see other people just ditch a method that might work. For, for, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, they, they try to get an, um, a client to, to, to move a certain way. And the client just responds by, well, this bothers my knee. And the first response is, okay, well, let's do something else. Mm-hmm. And they've probably, it's either they've learned that through their community or they've just never, they've never tried to push through their client's barrier. I had my, my client this morning, my six, my six 30 this morning, 
dealing, dealing with some, um, um, some knee issues and we didn't squat today today. That's just part of his program, not squatting today, but I just said, Hey, look, you know, in, in four weeks, if we're still dealing with the same issue, we'll adjust how you squat. We might, we might try a pin squat, you know? So in his mind, he's thinking like, okay, we're not taking this off the plate. We're, we're adjusting it. And then, you know, slowly over time, the next appointment, I'll probably have the pins a little bit lower and, you know, we'll, we'll work back in, we'll work back into it and see where that pain goes. But if you're immediate as a coach, as a trainer, if you're, or even as a lifter, if your immediate response is, well, I guess that exercise doesn't work for me, then there's, there's a break in there somewhere for sure. And we do that because of fear. Like we as coaches, we're, we are not comfortable sitting in that, in the uncomfortable right yeah. in the yeah. client's discomfort like being able to be there and go no like it, it's okay mm-hmm. you know we and we have a system you know for me it's usually two weeks in the in like on the first day like we're making range of motion modifications or something but it's going to be that movement first we start from this and then start radiating out if yeah. that center movement you know hurts so we're doing form changes first before we start you know and we radiate out from there as you were thinking, it, it clicked for me. The same is true when the client, let's say, fails to make a habit or, you know, oh, it was hard for me to get to the gym today. And our first instinct as a coach is, oh, sure, that's fine. Yeah, whatever. You hmm. know, oh, you missed a session last week. That's fine. You know, it's, just, it's no different from somebody saying, oh, my knee was aching. Uh, uh, oh, we'll do something else. Like if you have a system that's working and your lifter needs to get to the gym to meet their goal that they've set in three, four months from now or whatever, and you recognize they're not on that trajectory because they're not making it sitting in the uncomfortable and holding them accountable. That's our job. That is our job. You're right. Yeah. It's no different from an achy squat or an achy back. Yeah. And there's ways to address that too. You know, you don't have to be Mm -hmm. the jerk person that you get, you got to find, like you said, there's a process. You got to find your process, whether it's a reminder of goals is to sit down one-on-one talk about it. Yeah. You got to have that. You have to have that all in all on board. Let's, let's talk a little bit about how coaches can become better coaches and then bring more value to their clients because you, we just started to allude to it. You're building those processes. How does a coach bring more value? I think that the first and easiest way, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to paint a visual here because it's, okay. it's been so useful for me. So Scott Young, uh, the author of Ultra Learning, uh, he has like, it's your standard XY graph, right? And there's a curve that starts on the top left and goes to the bottom right is the optimality curve between right. two things. And at first, we as coaches, we start on the very bottom left of the graph. Like we're nowhere near the edge of that curve. The best thing we can do is just execute better. Just move in the direction of better. So that could be, uh, spotting form faults that could be uh, learning, you know, learning movement variations that could be uh, any one of a number of things, right? But and not just better, but more consistently, mm-hmm. so that until we have a consistent execution, we don't actually develop processes. We're just making it up as we go, and making right. it up as we go is kind of fine. Like that's how we all start. But when you're making it up as you go, and you find something that starts working, do that thing. So you start recognizing when it doesn't work, where it doesn't work, execute, execute more consistently, and you start approaching that optimal curve. Now, I think from there, we, we kind of take a step back. And then for, let's say we get good at platform coaching. We can spot most errors. 
You know, we get good at programming. We can help people through the post-novice phase, you know, maybe like advanced lifters or, you know, uh, national athletes and periodization schemes aren't going to be our thing, but we can cover most problems, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, at that point, learning that next execution step of advanced periodization, if your athlete isn't doing that thing, it's probably a waste. I think the next kind of meta step is better selecting and matching kind of the which tool that we know as our tools grow, which mm-hmm. tool with the lifter that we're working with. So does this, stu- uh, it's not so much, do I have a better habit system or do I have a better macro plan as selecting, does this lifter need habits, macros, some kind of combination of the two? Do they need me to back off? Like in getting that picture for when and which to apply to which lifter. And just the very last one, and oftentimes many coaches, I'm not going to say never get to this point. Actually, most don't because most never, you know, stay in the industry longer than like two years. Yeah. But uh, I think you get to the point of making optimal choices for a specific lifter. So like at that curve, you know, curving from the top left to the bottom right, once you've gotten that good selection and matching and you're really good at execution, you're pretty close to the curve. Like you're not, you can't just keep getting better and get more results. If you want to get specific, like improve results for your client, you're going to have to make trade-offs. Like I am working with, not me personally, but as example, I am working with Olympic cross-country skiers. So I like, you know, I have to make specific changes to my emphasis, my priorities, my language, my communication style, my investments as a coach that will point me in that direction that make me less effective at coaching college football players. Mm, okay. And at that point, I think you're at that point, you're committed and you're really looking at what best serves your athlete. But until, until you can execute consistently and kind of figure out what they need start figuring out that soft kind of selection stuff, there's yeah. really no, like, then maybe we start looking at the, the precision, like in dedication where we become a specialist, where we just yeah. kind of niche. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought all of that up because especially, you know, focusing on who like, you know, you kind of mentioned demographic there because each demographic can be something a little bit different. But when I, usually when I had this conversation, especially, and this may not be, you've been doing this a while, but you talk to a, a newer coach, newer trainer, and you ask about what kind of value add do you bring to your clients? And one of the first things I, I start hearing is the offering of more services. Well, I do, I do nutrition counseling also, or I do programming also. And then I, I do X, Y, and Z. And you've got like five different things. And you're like, how many of those can you do very, very good at the minimum? Very good. Yeah. And, and the answer is probably not, not many. And I think everybody who's getting into it kind of feels like that. You know, you want, I want to have as many people come to me for as many things as possible, all related to fitness and health. And, um, and you just said it, you know, if you can, if you can hone in and you have your set of tools and they keep growing and you can help your people get the most out of their training. And that's, yeah, that's a pretty, that's a broad paint, a broad brushstroke I just put out there, but it's true. You have to know individually how to address each individual person. And I think one of those things is being a very good listener Mm. and, not getting yourself in front of what the person is actually telling you, talking less, not always being, um, 
not always having the answer. Sometimes I love not having the answer. When somebody, somebody says something and you're like, huh, that's a good question. Let me make a quick note of that. I'm going to set a reminder. Give me a couple of days. I'm going to get back to you on that. I don't know because that not only does that take pressure off of you, but if you think you have to sit there and you have to have the answer and you're searching, you're, you're trying to grab, I mean, everybody can smell BS, you know, it doesn't and 90% take- of the time they ask the, I'm not going to say the wrong question, but there are more questions to be asked. Yeah. You like dig. it's so much, it's so much like when, if somebody says, uh, if somebody comes up to me and says, which online coaching software should I use to deliver online coaching? trainerize ptd you know like the uh, personal mm-hmm. uh, whatever pt distinction you know true coach blah, blah, blah. which one should i use uh the first question isn't oh go with right. x you know trainer go with x it's what are you trying to do with it exactly what's your main goal what are you trying to accomplish with it who are you trying to bring it to yeah and and then listen yeah like what are what are you trying to do with it okay like then we can go in some direction yeah have you, do you, I'm going to hold the book up. It's, it's by Michael Sorensen. Have you read this? I hear you. No. Okay. Highly recommend it. Super, super simple. Very easy read. Quick synopsis of it. Basically it is talking about when people ask questions, they're not always looking for an answer. Most of the time people just want to be heard. They want an mm-hmm. acknowledgement of them being heard, you know, um, and it, he gives many examples in there. We, it, it's a whole, whole other conversation, but I've been really thinking about that when I hear somebody talking about their goals, sometimes people talking about their eating habits and they'll, they'll tell me about how they, they've, you know, I overate this weekend. I drank too much this weekend. I didn't get out and hit my, my step goal this weekend. And normally, man, a couple of months ago, I'd be like, well, here's what you should do. Here's what I think. Cause I, cause I know it all you're coming to me and I got to tell you. And now I realize like sometimes people just want to be heard and acknowledged. Yeah, no, man, that, that's, that's hard. Weekends yeah. do that sometimes, you know, did, did you have fun this weekend? You know, it's, it's, the, it's those people, it's those, it's those things. And a lot of times when you say that they auto correct themselves, sometimes people mm-hmm. come back in and they'll say like, you know, I didn't have that bad of a weekend last weekend. Like I did before, like they did it themselves. You, I heard what they said. There was no judgment. There was no, like, you should do this. Nobody wants to be told what to do. I don't care who you are. You can come to a coach and a trainer. That person says, this is exactly what you need to do. A lot of the time that just turns off in the brain, right? Nobody hears that. But just the acknowledgement of, I, I've been there also, that's frustrating, isn't it? Or, you know, I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry you didn't do that. I'm sorry you didn't make it to, you know, your step goal. However you want to address that. But but not coming to it with a full-fledged on answer has been very, very helpful to me. I, I, I give it a break. I let them talk. I wait for them to say something like, do you have any recommendations for low-calorie alcohol? You know, if, it's, if they get a direct feedback question, a direct question to me, then I give direct feedback. And that, mm-hmm. that's, that's been very, very helpful for me. I like that too. Because I, th- I think we can, we can sometimes as coaches get into this, like, I never want to give an answer. You know, especially in the new, I, I notice this in the nutrition space a lot. Oh, uh, like, mm. oh, I, I always want to stay in this motivational interviewing client centered space. But if the, if the client asks like, huh, in my fitness pal, like, where do I find a lean protein? That's, you know, like that's the right macros. Like they're asking a specific question right there. And part of listening is also knowing when it's time to just 
say the answer. Right. It's not it, like it's not a big question like, uh, you know, like what do I need to do to change my diet? Like that's not the time to give an answer. But when it's <laughs> when it's there, it's there. Take it. Yeah. 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 There's there's like we we we've been we've been coached ourselves and trained ourselves to dig, dig, dig. Mm. Always dig for the next answer, dig for the next answer. Finally, we're we're probably we're passing up all of the questions sometimes. Sometimes mm. it's right there, sometimes it's not. But sometimes it can be right on the surface, but we have to be ready to listen. And it's so frustrating to them, I imagine. Well, I, and oh, I know man. it's true for me when they can hear that you're trying to lead them to an answer. Like you're asking questions to like, like, a, like it's a, what's, what are those called? A, a um, like a, like a decision tree. Yeah. Oh like yeah. Yeah. Narrowing down the answer to one of your five, you know, predetermined, you know, options. Sure. So you're like, uh, Oh, are you, are you in excess condition or why? Like, okay, then, then this is going to be your answer. No, they hear that coming a mile away. They've probably yeah. already heard it before. Yeah. Yeah. They're coming to you for something else. And that's, yeah, I, I've had that. I, I've referred people to, to um, a nutrition coach many, many years ago. I remember her telling, she said to me, she's like, it's very frustrating because all I get are questions back. I never get a direct answer. I'm like, well, I tried, I tried very hard to like defend the nutrition coach's stance. But I'm like, well, what are you asking for? And it was a pretty direct question. It was it's pretty direct. And I was like, well, I don't want to step on her foot, but maybe you need to just have that conversation with her yourself. <laughs> like, yeah. then you need to come come heart to heart with it. Um, so CJ, the, we, we've kind of talked about, you know, the steps to becoming a coach, things, things to look out for on your on your way to becoming a coach, becoming a better coach, the a few of the do's. What about bad coaching? What hmm. makes a bad coach? Um, and I think we just hit on a topic, not being able to listen might be one, but what else, what else have you seen? What else have you experienced? What else have you, you know, what have, have you learned from, from your coaching experience? So, yeah, we, we've actually stumbled on a lot of the things that I think about on not just, you know, not listening, not having done the thing, not being authentic to where you're coming from and the, the kind of people and work impact that you actually want to have and who you want to serve. Uh, those are all kind of big pieces to it. Um, oh, and uh, handling obvious occurrences that are going to happen again and again and again in your field. Like if you're, if you're working with runners and you don't know how to respond to a shin splint, you're kind of a bad coach. Like that's inevitably going to happen. Like, yeah. it, like I, I mean, that in at least 50% of the time, if they run enough mileage, eventually it's going to happen. Right. Uh, so I think we, we've actually covered um, so much of that, which is cool. Just how it comes up in the question of being a good coach. Yeah. Uh, I think what tends to get missed is some of the CYA and professionalism piece. Okay. So CYA uh, uh, in, in Navy parlance, you know, cover your rear, but um, there is the, I don't know how many coaches don't have uh, insurance, don't have, you know, a waiver, don't yeah. know, don't know the legal requirements for what they can say around nutrition in their state or in their, their jurisdiction. Right. Um, and I don't think like, uh, I don't think you're a terrible person if you don't do those things, you know, in, in any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I do think that a, it sits kind of in the back of your head as a, I don't have confidence piece. Uh, and it also, from the perspective of the client, you're not in a professional relationship with them. Like if you don't have your, your professional minimums met, 
So a lot of coaches, ah, you know, I'm charging 50 bucks an hour and people are still telling, you know, sorry, not 50 bucks an hour, but like $50 a month, maybe like, you know, something pretty cheap for the, for this industry. And people are still telling me I'm charging too much. Do they feel like they're getting a professional experience? Hmm. Don't fake being an expert, right? Bring, bring your best self. Like there's a, there's a, I did a podcast with David Aguilera. It was in the same series that we did ours. Yep. And uh, he was talking about how, you know, like his, his initial hesitation to coach people um, until he got on the, uh, he was on a, a gym platform with somebody or, you know, and so somebody in the next platform over and they like, okay. weren't really queuing, weren't paying attention, watching the clock, you know, like uh, looking at their phone, that kind of thing. It doesn't matter what that coach knows. They're a yeah. bad coach. Exactly. Right. And so like the, for, for me, that's, that's kind of where it is. It's a lot of that being present in the space. Yeah. Knowing what, knowing the, well, we talked about value, but knowing what the person is coming to you for mostly is attention to detail. It's letting people get away with form, with form breaks. It could be as simple as like, you have somebody doing a lap pull down and not coaching them to full extension and those kind of things not being brought to attention that can make all the difference for a person's experience in their appointment. But if there's no feedback, I think that that's the biggest thing. And you might be thinking to yourself, especially if you're an experienced coach, listen to this. Well, duh, a lot of people out there, a lot of, a lot of new coaches don't realize that. And from the outside, I, I love that you mentioned that from the outside, I, as a coach, if I were to watch one set, this is why, you know, when I coach coaches, you know, like they send me videos of them doing coaching or something. Uh, it has to be longer than just one set generally, or I have to see multiple sets mm -hmm. because the coach, like, let's say there's bouncing off the chest, right? But the lifter has for the longest time, their elbows have just been all haywire and they fix that. I might let the bounce alone. Like just right. congratulations, good job. <laughs> like reinforce on, on the elbow position. So from an outsider, I'm going to be like, oh, look at all the things he missed. Sure. But I think what, uh, and where I, where I kind of feel you were going is the, the presence and actually in bringing in to the coaching space. If you're counting reps and you're like, you're standing there to be the safety on the bench, right? But that's it. And then when it's done, no matter how the set looks, you're just like, good job. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah. Way to go. Great. Um, then, you know, no matter whether they show up, no matter whether they do the program no matter what they respond, your answer is going to be great. Then yeah. you're not, you're not present. So it's, it's, it's like that. You're not even bad. You're just not there. And That's to the, from the client's perspective, you're bad. You're not serving their purpose. No, that's, you even brought up a better point than I was trying to make because we're not only there for to correct the bad sets. We're there to congratulate and to improve mm -hmm. upon you know the good sets or those changes because that's what they're doing. I mean, they're putting in the work when it comes down to it. If they're listening to your cues and they get it, good on them. And that's yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have started out with something like so so negative. <laughs> and but but that's the thing. Like a, a novice coach, you know, someone who's just starting, they're going to miss a lot of those errors, and that's fine. You know, it's just, there's not a choice as long as they're representing themselves and we're, you know, we're, we're moving through this together. I think actually being a bad coach is oftentimes pretending expertise you don't have. Yeah, I think um, you're right. Or even just trying to dominate their choices if you are the expert, but for that novice coach, they may miss a lot, but uh, like, and that's just, they got to get better. They've got to catch things up, blah, blah, blah. That's part of the response. Yeah. But if they're present 
and they're attentive and they do see improvement in their client, even if they didn't direct it, be like, Hey, wow. Like you are really struggling with this. And I don't know what you did. What did you do? What were you thinking about? Because like, man, your back was just perfect on that set. And that is a better coach than the, you know, 10 year experienced barbell coach who's sitting there on their phone and who could, who could see the cue, who could fix it and doesn't, you know, or doesn't reward the fix or just isn't there. Yeah. And how much more involvement you get out of that. You know, there's a term I like to use all the time, just buy-in and the buy-in that you get from somebody from, for, for, for noticing something and asking them like, you know, wow, what, how did that feel? What were you thinking? That's the word when, I was looking for, noticing. Happened? Yeah. When you notice yes. like that buy-in, what, how did you, what did you feel there? What adjustments did you make? How did that, did you feel that tightness? Did that tightness make a difference for you? Those kind of things that it's just, that, that comes down to like just open conversation during the workout. You're making it at that point to me, you're making it, you're making it less about the actual workout and more about the progress over time. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. You know, yeah. you're not at the very end of the workout. You're like, Hey man, good sweat. Good job. When that happened, you're like, dude, do you realize what just broke through to you? What changed? What's going to happen next? Like, you know, let, let's keep this steam rolling. Those, those kind of things. And I, I've talked about this a lot also. And I've heard you talk about it too, like the, the excitement that you get um, when you coach somebody, it's not about, you know, us making somebody better when you realize that they noticed that they got better. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what, what else, what else can you ask for when you leave an appointment? Like it makes me feel good, makes us feel good as coaches. But when they leave, I keep thinking, I'm like, that that person's life just changed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and that keeps, that keeps you in the game. Yeah, exactly. I felt when I was, I was really new at coaching, um, really new at online coaching. I just started remote coaching kind of like with Google spreadsheets and things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I, like, this was a big mistake. And, and to this day, I, I always remember it. I had a lifter, they put on the questionnaire, they wanted to hit 405, four plates for a set of five in the deadlift, right? Okay. Like that was a goal of theirs. And had them on a, I had them on a simple progression. They were continuing to make progress every time. Uh, and I totally lost track in the, the process. It's like, they're still gaining weight on the bar. So everything's good. They hit 405. They were just slowing down, but they were going to hit 410 next week. They were going to hit 415 next week. Uh, yeah. So I didn't even remark on it. It was just like, you know, oh, yeah, great job. You know, here's here's a thing to work on, da, 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 this. And he's and he sent me an email oh, back wow. afterwards. And he's like, coach, like that was that was what I came for. Like that was the big event. And as a coach, I'm like, I didn't even recognize it. Like, I, yeah, ugh, like I, I wasn't even I wasn't there. I wasn't even paying attention. I got goosebumps then, from like I totally missed the biggest opportunity in the world to celebrate this lifter's progress. Yeah. And I, for, for that, for me, when it comes to like a bad coach, good coach, like, yeah, noticing and caring about what your lifter cares about. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one too. It's not, yeah. They come to you with something. Don't change, don't change what they have going on because you know, you know, of of what you think you might know, giving them what they, giving what they come, giving them what they come for. Um, well, CJ, I think, I think we, like you said, we covered a lot. I mean, we kind of hit, we kind of hit on a lot of different things about becoming a coach, what to look for being, being a good coach uh, versus a bad coach, um, how to make progressions. And uh, one final thing before we jump off, um, I wanted to ask you one of your own questions. 
you've been cursed and find that you only do three <laughs> exercises. <laughs> Which do you pick and why? Ooh. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, for me, I absolutely hate the squat. Okay. So uh, I would go for the deadlift for, okay. for my big lower body. I love that movement. Yeah. Um, I'd probably pick chin-ups. Uh, both for both for the, the you know the upper body piece as well as it's something I'm passionate about. I can load it. It's fun. Yeah. Um, hmm. I'm probably. You know, I go standing press. Okay. Like, you know, stand like barbell barbell press, dumbbell press, but like you know, like there is something there's something for me like visceral about standing at the top of the press, like <laughs> like it's a yeah. survivor, like I have made fire or whatever yeah. that movie Tom Hanks was, <laughs> like that I love about the press and that kind of rounds that that the physical capacity for me. Okay. All right. Well, I, I saw that right before we logged on today. I was like, oh yeah, I definitely gotta ask him that. <laughs> I like it. So, well, CJ, listen, um, if people want to get a hold of you, they want to find out about, about more about what you do, um, have any questions, comments, concerns, what's the best place to get a hold of you? Uh, so you can find me at uh, uh, Barbell Logic if you look at the Coaching Academy, um, if you're, uh, or the, the Barbell Academy. If you're trying to find me personally, uh, uh, Facebook is where I spend, you know, that's kind of my, my home base. Uh, CJ Gocher, you know, it's a nothing, nothing fancy on that one. And then uh, for, uh, I am on Instagram. I don't really post much, but uh, I, you know, like receive DMs and I love talking to people. So that one's also CJ Gocher, uh, easy to find. Awesome. Awesome. I hope people do reach out CJ again. Thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you very soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Eric. It's been fun.